At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. End of the week here. Thursday night edition of the show. We got to get to the New York Knicks preview. But first, going to catch up on some news here with Danny. We're sponsored today by Quip Toothbrushes. Go to getquip.com slash capspace to get your first refill pack free for this awesome electric toothbrush. And by Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L and Branch. Use that capspace code and get $50 off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com. All right, we got a few things to run through here because I realized we're not going to have a chance to do any news until the season actually starts. So let's get right to it. Where do you want to begin? I think we should start with Wiggins. I mean, when a guy signs a max extension, even if we all thought it was coming, it still is news. So what is notable about Wiggins' contract is that it's it's five years at the full max and it has no player option. So that, that was a, a possibility that you see with a lot of these desirable players. And that does make it different. I had talked about the idea of the, the disparity between a three plus one and what I expected to be a four plus one, but at a full five, that's something different for Minnesota. Yeah, it is. And finally, at least this is probably the only one that this could be the case for that as the player agent in the mock off season, I actually out negotiated what happened in real life because I did get a player option then although we did have the anchoring already that this deal had basically been offered and was agreed to I guess we'll never know why it took so long for him to agree to it maybe it was in fact wrangling over that player option KP our buddy Kevin Pelton had a nice piece on whether Wiggins can live up to this I, I thought some of the comps that he had in this piece were very interesting of basically guys who were young maybe were a little bit overrated because they scored a ton DeMar DeRozan was on that list like going back to John Williamson on the Nets in, in the late 70s Jeff Malone was another guy who was on Joe there. Smith the guys yeah guys who just score but don't really do much else and don't necessarily score that efficiently and, and those players generally have not quite lived up to 25% of the salary cap it'll be a little bit more once he starts getting those 8% raises kicking in but I think this was always going to happen even had he I mean maybe they would have been in a slightly better negotiating place here at the end of this but and he's the first one of these guys to come up to and the worst of them because they're remember they got Carl Towns and then they're gonna probably have to give Jimmy Butler close to a max deal when he'll be 29 by the way uh maybe even 30 by that point uh when he's eligible for that at least a 30 percent max deal uh it actually only a 30 percent max deal because he's been traded can't get designated veteran 
So, you know, maybe they will live to regret this because if they have to give the max to Towns and Butler, both superior players, then they're going to be really close to the tax and it's unclear how much of that they can really pay. This also, to me, doesn't have the complexity of a guy who is certainly the man or the emotional leader on his team. You know, in those sorts of circumstances, I can understand the pay the man ethos because they're the central piece of this team. Andrew Wiggins is not the best player on the Wolves. He is not the best young player on the Wolves. He is not the centerpiece of the Wolves on or off the court. He is important and he is immensely talented, but we have to see that. And why I'm critical of this is just because for me with Wiggins, because we don't know what he is, waiting a year was worth, even if it was inevitably going to be a three plus one, albeit at lower raises, because we just don't know if he's going to be worth that. You know, and I said the same thing with DeMarcus Cousins. I was wrong with DeMarcus Cousins, but I'm going to say it here and why I think it's stronger now than it was before had shown more production than exactly at is, this point but also it was more of a character issue right and also wiggins is going to be eligible for a designated veteran extension so you don't have to be as worried by that three plus one deal because people aren't turning that down at least not yet we'll see if you know if he's going to be if he would be on the vanguard of that should he be good enough to but i wouldn't expect that so i wouldn't have been as scared of of him leaving after three years as minnesota apparently was and i i'm just not sure of this so i i've been conservative largely on these contracts i still yeah and also maybe if it wasn't the three plus one offer sheet it would have been well now you're gonna have to give us a four plus one but i mean i think he was gonna have like the greatest counting stats this year he should be third a very firm third in the pecking order behind butler and behind towns so yeah he and glenn taylor said as much in that kind of weird interview back in august like hey he hasn't reached the point yet where he's worth this contract we're hopeful that he's going to grow into it and he, he could well do that but i would say the odds of that or eh, you know 50 50 maybe but i guess the other thing you could say too danny is there's no way almost no matter what he did this year that he wasn't going to get 20 million a year on the market next year right so you know for 26 is it really that big of a difference and it, it, it least, is for you know, a small market team that might be paying the luxury tax yeah no it is and perhaps also just hey we take care of our guys that's a good ethos to start up with towns and butler coming up as well but i would want to see how this whole thing meshed a little bit first and i guess you know wiggins maybe is more tradable if he's on this contract as well i understand why they did this i wouldn't have done it i don't think he's good enough he's not just a surefire obvious max guy to me but at least good for him you know he's a good kid got paid and that aspect shouldn't be lost that we're always happy at least for the person if not necessarily saying the player isn't worth it we got more details now on joel Embiid. And I, I apologize that 148 million, which had been reported by a lot of people, I should have actually checked that because that was based on the old 102 cap. So it's going to be five years, 146.5 million. Here's how it works now. This has come out with reporting from Woj and Bobby Marks. Basically, they would have to waive him to get any kind of savings. And it has what's called an Exhibit 3 that covers three specific types of injuries. Uh, The left foot, basically any kind of an injury to the bones of the left foot, including the navicular bone. Uh, The right foot, same thing. Uh, And I think it was the right foot that he had the injury. So both feet. And then interestingly, the knees not covered under this, right? And he just had this meniscus knee surgery. It seems like everything 
is fine. They've been bringing him along. He was unbelievable in that preseason game against the Nets last night. Uh, I think he had, what did he have, like 22 points in 15 minutes or something. But uh, And then the, the last thing is, you'll remember, he had that back injury coming out of Kansas. So that's the, the last area that's really covered. Uh, now, to get to the Super Max, he would have to either be first-team All-NBA or MVP this year. Even if he gets second or third-team All-NBA, he doesn't get the Super Max. He's still starting at 25%, where he makes first-team All-NBA or MVP, then he can get 30% of the salary cap. That's looking... First-team All-NBA wouldn't be impossible. MVP, pretty much impossible. Um, what do you think of, of what we talked about so far here, Dan, before I get into the specific compensation on a year-by-year basis? The idea of it relying on specific injuries is something that I found fascinating. I thought that this protection would be a little bit more broad. I under or or even maybe like you get the 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 restrictions are more lax or more rigid based on that. But I was surprised. This seems like a little bit more of a giveaway by the Sixers than I expected. Yeah, because uh, and I think especially not covering the knees. I think that's the biggest one to me. And now the standard that he has to meet, and we'll get into also how much he actually how much money he actually will get. And, and this is pretty technical, so bear with us here. It's going to be a few minutes. If you think this is boring, go ahead and skip ahead to the rest of the news. The protections for the Sixers only activate if he misses 25 games or plays less than 1,650 minutes in a season. And this is putting it very lightly. I'll get into more specifics, but basically the guarantees happen about two years ahead of time, just on average in the contract. And there's much more complexity to this. We haven't seen the contract. There's probably even more that just could even be communicated in the article that Woj and Bobby Marks had. But so it seems like it's basically another 15 or so million of the 84 million that's guaranteed of the 146 guarantees with each year that goes by that they don't waive him after he has missed 25 games or played less than 1,615, 1,650 minutes. So if he fails to meet those thresholds during 2018-19 and the Sixers terminate the contract, so that's really the first year of the contract is guaranteed, 25.3 million. Then for the next four years 13 million 14 million 15 million 16 million is guaranteed that makes up the 84 million that he's guaranteed so if they waive him after 1819 that's all he gets if they waive him after 1920 then he's gotten his full amount already 27.3 million that year so he'll have gotten 98.2 million he still though would be on their cap if they waive him for 14.2 15.2 16.2 so he's going to be on there even if they waive him tomorrow he's going to count 14 15 16 16 million against the cap so if that's the case you think well he would really not only would he have to miss this time but he would basically have to have like no chance doctors would say basically there's no chance of coming back the next seasons right because or the next season for them to say okay you know what he's he's on our cap for 14 15 and 16 and you know so we're really only saving 13 or 14 million a year you might as well if there's any chance he's going to come back take the risk of just leaving him on there because you're gonna have to pay him at least half of what he was going to get anyway on a year yearly basis if it were me I would have much rather structured this and maybe he just didn't have the option to do this like his agent was smart to know that that's what the dynamics here are going to be if you have more guaranteed money spread out throughout the contract within a given year 
it's less likely that the team is going to want to say hey you know what like we're just going to cut you but if I were the team what I would have liked to have done is say all right we'll just guarantee all three of the first three years and then just make the last two years non-guaranteed if you suffer these kind of injuries so then if he suffers the injury and you cut him now he's zero on your salary cap right so that that's it's very complex and if that was boring I told you guys to skip ahead so so you know uh anything else you want to add on that uh, before we move on Danny no no I think that's it but I think we should next talk about Dante Exum so we don't forget again so Exum, <laughs> no, no no actually here let's uh let's do a quick read here first and then <laughs> and then, we'll, then we we'll can do... talk about Dante uh <laughs> let's forget again so right now I'm staying over at my buddies and he is an awesome house I love staying there dog sitting for him well he's gone but I do slightly miss it, my bowl and branch sheets just like anyone who sleeps on them, loves them, they have thousands of five-star reviews. New York Times, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, all rave about them. Even three U.S. presidents have bull and branch sheets. I think three former U.S. presidents have bull and branch sheets. What my fiance and I like about them the most is just that they keep you cool. They're soft, but not overly weighty. Bull and branch is going to give you the best sleep of your life, in my opinion, and their opinion. And probably your opinion. You can find out whether that is your opinion or not by just trying them for 30 nights and see for yourself. If you're not impressed, you can return them for a full refund. That's how much confidence they have that these sheets are awesome. So when you get started with Bowl and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L and Branch, bowlandbranch.com, you can get $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping in the U.S. when you use that familiar promo code CAPSPACE, which you talk about all the time on the program. That's $50 off plus free U.S. shipping right now at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and Branch, bowlandbranch.com, promo code CAPSPACE to get that $50 off. And of course, let them know that you came from Okay, so let's get to Exum now. That shoulder injury went up for a layup. Had someone come down on him as he was trying to brace himself uh, with his arm, got caught. Uh, Tony Jones reporting that there is significant ligament damage. He still has not yet decided upon a course of treatment, but he will miss significant time. It's just a question of, hey, is he going to be able to come back, strengthen it? If he has surgery, is it going to be a season-ending type of surgery? Or maybe will it be, you know, I think this is kind of similar to uh, what MKG suffered at the start of the season two years ago and you'll recall actually he came back dove for a loose ball on the ground and then ended up missing the whole rest of the year right after that too uh, so we'll see here but obviously no matter what the situation is at this point a massive blow uh, maybe to Exum more than even the Utah Jazz at least this season as long as Rubio stays healthy and you know he's had his own issues then they have Hal Neto who I think is the most likely option there and I fully expect that he will make the team and for Exum I mean this is such a shame talented guy same class as Embiid and differently snake bit I mean but after playing all 82 his first year he's only will have played 66 games all in the same year in those next three unless he can play later in the year this year yeah and I hope that he can come back and the other thing too for him is you have to wonder even if he can return now that first step is still going to be there you know shoulder injuries are not necessarily career altering the way knees are and he, he does seem to have retained or regain perhaps more accurately the explosiveness that he had before the injury but he if he gets injured going to the basket he takes a lot of hard falls and at some point psychologically is he not going to be able to attack the rim the way he did because he's worried about getting injured that could be something and for the Jazz I think they were going to try to go with him and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt with neither of those guys being great as a point guard but maybe if you had both of them together you could get by now they're either going to go with Howell Neto I would imagine he will be the primary backup point guard and he's actually an underrated player I think he can be 
be a solidly average backup point guard very good defensively or maybe they'll have to towards the end of the year they could bring Donovan Mitchell into that role he's still more of a shooting guard at this point maybe Alec Burks can help them he's looked solid in the preseason and so I don't think this is going to hurt the Jazz that much on the floor this year unless there is a Rubio injury but it's really more about Exum because he had had a nice preseason had flashed attacking the rim looked good although he was you know much more experienced than his competition in summer league and uh you know at, at least if he keeps getting hurt uh we don't look as, we'll never know whether he would have lived up to the lofty status that we had for him in that 2014 draft so we don't look as bad but you know that's not a reason to uh feel good about this and we love him and, and hope that he is would uh gets back on the floor soon yeah it's it's a shame and i mean he's gonna have such a perilous restricted negotiation especially because the jazz unless they're gonna be really swinging that cap space around they can just leverage that to get to basically get whatever they want he might even end up having to take a qualifying offer just because the multi-year contracts will be limited but we can move on to oh there are a lot of other injuries sadly enough to talk about let's start with batum that's actually kind of a positive update he will not need surgery on his ucl so he'll be out an estimated six to eight weeks yeah and i think the hornets can survive that uh especially though we have learned that michael carter williams we know he'd had that prp surgery over the summer he won't be ready to the start of the season malik monk has looked solid uh in i mean i don't know how much of a passer he is but he at least has been putting up some nice scoring games in the preseason so maybe this will give a chance he's someone who i think again just because he didn't play summer league and charlotte isn't exactly on the national radar people have forgotten that he is actually a pretty good college player and a pretty good scorer and, and maybe he'll be able to give them something this year we'll see not many rookies can uh miami we just talked about them with Albert Namad earlier in the week, they had this huge log jam at the three, but now it appears that Roddy Magruder, uh, unfortunately for him, has eased that log jam. Uh, he was originally reported as being out three to six months, but the team pushed back against that with the stress fracture, saying that he's still being evaluated at this time. So the hope is that it's something less severe. But it could be a second year in a row that Miami has a logjam that is at least partially resolved by injury. And you never want that, especially for a guy who's making the minimum. But, you know, the, the fortunately for Miami, they have a lot of other guys. So this is not going to sink them the way that it could a lot of other teams. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Magruder did play an important role. He was going to start for them, most likely. Yeah. And this is something that Albert and I talked about is they don't necessarily have a pure three on the roster. Winslow can certainly guard the three, but probably a little bit pressured to be a three offensively he's really worked more with the ball in his hands lately but he's not as good of a fit with Dragic and Waiters maybe it'll be Josh Richardson and they'll put Waiters on the guys that Richardson just is a little bit too light to handle or maybe they could start Winslow and then it'll be Kelly Olenek in the starting lineup to get a little bit more spacing as well I think they're going to experiment quite a bit here uh uh, James Johnson probably not going to move down to play the the three whether he or Linux starts at the four is still going to be an open question as well. And but I think if it were me on most nights, I would probably go with Dragic, Waiters, and Win- and Richardson as at the one, two, three. Have Waiters guards from the bigger guys. And then if you really have a guy that Waiters can't handle, maybe you could start Winslow in those situations or bring James Johnson down to guard that type of player. 
We talked a little bit about Rondo, but now he actually had the surgery, so he's going to be out four to six weeks, sports hernia surgery. And one that could end up being significant is LeBron James. Miles so Plumley, right quad injury? I, I, I'm, I'm breezing right through that until we, if we do a lightning <laughs> round. But so LeBron had an ankle injury that kept him out for the first two games of their preseason. And then he played and retweaked it. And so now there's speculation that he might not be ready to start the season. Yeah, and retweaked it and stayed in the game. It just kills me when guys do that uh especially in the preseason and when i had chris fedor on earlier this year we talked about maybe is this the year that lebron maybe takes a little bit of a step back well the way that happens maybe is he finally does start to suffer some nagging injuries i mean he basically has been indestructible other than that one vacation he took his first year back in cleveland just to kind of loosen his back up a little bit and his knee i mean even when he does suffer an ankle sprain he always seems fine and maybe you know this is just he's gonna play and he's always fine with these ankle sprains i mean i can't remember him ever missing a game with an ankle sprain before frankly uh so maybe this is just nothing but when it starts to go for guys that's how it starts i'm not gonna say i mean you know he'll probably be fine by two weeks into the regular season or one week not to mention the the end of the year but also if he misses time that could hurt a potential mvp campaign another guy lonzo ball really has missed nearly the entire preseason now with his own ankle injury one where again he suffered the injury continued to play then it swelled up at halftime and oh hey what a surprise the next morning he woke up he's like wow this thing's really swollen yeah because you kept playing on your already sprained ankle so maybe like this is why i've always advocated especially in the preseason of all times we've seen a few times where guys have like kind of tweaked something and stayed in the preseason in the preseason you really need to have someone even it doesn't even necessarily have to be a medical professional who's like monitoring the tv feed because a lot of times you can't like if you're on the bench you can't see what happened you're like if somebody sprains their ankle you're not going to see like okay here's how much the guy's ankle turned you need to actually review the film of that and see it very quickly and get him out of the game potentially and not let the guy you know i mean the player is always going to try and stay in the game and say that he's fine and he'll feel fine right away but if you see man wow he really turned this ankle pretty badly you have the ability to get him out of there especially if you're a good team in the regular season that the regular season doesn't matter as much or in the preseason for virtually anybody I am totally on board with that suggestion, and considering the amount of resources that teams have and the amount of resources they commit to players, it, it is remarkable that this happens so frequently. Kawhi Leonard was seen shooting free throws at practice earlier. Nothing coming out of the notoriously tight-lipped Spurs. Uh, you would have to just consider him questionable at this point for opening night. It's not, not indicated that he went through practice or anything like that yet, and, and you know the Spurs are going to be incredibly conservative with him. Uh, Frank Nilakina has only played in one preseason game so far he's got a sore right knee will not play in the preseason finale unclear if he will be ready to start the year and Marco Fultz is also much like Lonzo had a bunch of random ailments and you remember at Washington he seemed to have some of these issues as well he blamed we're gonna have uh, Derek Bodner on hopefully over the weekend to talk about the Sixers so we'll get into this a lot more but he blamed a shoulder injury on his weird free throw shooting but he's kind of messed with his jumper and it hasn't been going in at all and he needs that jumper if he's going to live up to expectations uh what else we got here we can do the centers so for the centers Yusuf Nurkic suffered a concussion on Monday I haven't heard anything in terms of a timeline for that and actually I believe Zach Collins was the first guy to go through the concussion protocol this season yeah uh for Nurkic 
he you never know how long these can last but for a guy who is very dependent on being in shape and he has lost a lot of weight he looks great so far he's so much more effective when he's in good shape and when you're in the concussion protocol you really can't do anything until you get cleared uh, and you go through all the steps in terms of getting back to you know you have to go on the bike and then you have to run and not feel any symptoms for a certain amount of time i don't remember exactly what it is uh glenn robinson the third going to be out a little bit longer than anticipated he actually will undergo surgery for that severely sprained left ankle we talked about the impact of that a few episodes ago the knicks have signed trey burke they have an extra spot due to the continuation of the Joakim noah suspension and burke actually i think had the best moment of his career against the knicks as a rookie he hit this corner three on a a sideline out of bounds to beat them in madison square garden back when we thought that burke actually might be be a player and the Knicks certainly are not exactly a wash in point guards at the moment so he'll have a chance there yeah yeah that's definitely true and a couple other quick injury notes Andrew Bogut is going to be out until opening night with a groin issue and the aforementioned Miles Plumley has a right quad issue I have not heard a duration with him but I do not think he was going to be a central piece of Atlanta's big man rotation either way yes two to three week timeline for Miles Plumley. uh but yeah I mean with Deadman and Muscala John Collins Ilyasova all ahead of him you didn't I don't think he really factored into their plans that was mostly a salary dump the Rockets uh what is Fertitta's first name do you remember Tillman Tillman Fertitta Tillman Fertitta. okay I thought yeah. it was Tillman okay uh Tillman Fertitta said quote I look at everything long term is in his introductory presser for owning the Rockets a couple days ago I looked at everything long term so if it costs me money to win a few championships I'm fine with that but you don't want to be in the luxury tax and not getting the finals. So if you don't have a team that can get to the finals, you shouldn't be paying the luxury tax. And this is a little bit out of context. He has said, you know, I'll listen to what Tad Braun and Gerald Morey think that I should do as far as spending money. And I think it's more just looked at as, hey, is your team look like a potential finals team coming into the year? And I think you could say that about this team still, even if, you know, you do have the Warriors. This is a team that's looking like a 55-60 win, maybe even more than that team. So I, I, I that's specific statement of like oh if you don't get to the finals it's not worth it i don't know that it's quite that draconian it sounds like a pretty normal stance for an owner as far as the luxury tax is concerned it all depends on how it's applied because you can look at this in the short term the problem with the nba is that they're multi-year contracts so is he willing to pay the luxury tax to on on this contract let's say because chris paul and trevor reza are both free agents this year if they commit to the luxury tax it is very likely that in three to four years they will still be a tax team and And by that point, they might not be a finals team. So how does he approach it? And with him, unlike with some other ownerships, because the transition happened when the Rockets are so good, the rubber is going to meet the road really quickly here. It isn't going to be a circumstance where we get time to figure this out because the big free agent negotiations for them, one already happened with Harden, and then the other two are probably next, uh, three, Clint Capella or next summer. Yeah, and he did have good things to say about Maury too. He said he thought that Maury was uh, the best GM in the league. Wouldn't quite go that far, but he certainly is one of the best. Um before we go did we talk about the miles plumley injury yet we did uh can i uh, can i since you're going to talk with with dubin a little bit can i just mention that i started a new podcast uh oh yeah you definitely should although you didn't pick my name for it by the way uh, no but, i did which so, i was yeah you know all right, so, what, what, so i wanted it to be warrior well you you asked me and you know i'm not actually offended here but you asked me like okay it's gonna be warriors watch what do you think i was like no i think it should be warriors rap 
and like WRAP. And uh, I was overruled by a conglomerate of a lot of people, I guess. Well, what was funny about it was I should have asked you much earlier in the process. We already had artwork all done and everything like that. And I heard your <laughs> idea and thought it was good enough that A, I wanted to ask a bunch of people and B, I, I had already talked to, to the CLNS crew about putting, working out new stuff, but by and large, it went the other way. But I did like the name. I was It was good enough that I went through those steps, even though it was two days from being launched. But anyway, Warriors Warriors Watch. I, I'm now I'm gonna I'm gonna call it Warriors Draft too many times. But Warriors <laughs> Watch uh, uh, launched. So it's going to it's not going to be a daily podcast. It's not going to be dunked on. But I'm gonna do probably one to two episodes a week in whatever format I feel is good. And that's what's what's gonna be fun about it is I have permission to basically go in direction. So there'll be game recaps. There will be mailbags. There will be whatever whatever I want. And that's that's a lot of fun to have complete direction over it. Hopefully we have advertisers. So that will be a factor in it at some point. But it, it, it's exciting to do that. And of course, you know, probably do some stuff related to the book, which some people are getting their hands on now because Amazon shipped it three weeks early, which is pretty awesome. So a lot of different stuff going on. And then, of course, still doing Real GM Radio, still doing Dunked On and, and the Twitter NBA show, which will be starting up in the very near future. Yeah, our plan for that, by the way, the first Wednesday of the season, the opening night for most teams, we'll be doing our first Twitter NBA show episode i'll bring in jared right now all right let's bring in our man jared dubin now to discuss the new york knicks we miss you at caesars though this year man i know it was uh it was disappointing that i couldn't go mostly because like you know i don't watch the actual basketball out there like i just go to talk people but the buffet like i missed out i want to know how much you and danny ate like that's the the whole reason i go out there Yeah, what was your excuse? Like you had your, your hip replaced or some some bullshit yeah, like that? It's um not replaced. I had a a torn labrum in my hip. Basically, I had the Isaiah Thomas injury, but even worse because I had a lot of other stuff going on in there too. Yeah, what's it like having that injury? By the way, I, I haven't <sighs> known anyone who's actually had that personally. It's brutal. Um, it affects every single part of your life. Like. You don't realize how much you need your hip until it doesn't work. Like, it's the hinge of your entire body. Um, The best way I could describe it is that it's impossible to be comfortable doing anything. Standing hurts, sitting hurts, laying down hurts, walking hurts, running hurts. You can't do anything and be comfortable at literally any time. That's bad. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So are you uh, on the road to recovery at least now? Yeah, I'm in physical therapy three times a week, as uh, I would imagine most of the Knicks fans listening to this already know, because they were probably listeners of the Locked On Knicks podcast, which I haven't been hosting because I spend so much time in physical therapy. Um, You know, I'm there for two hours a day, three times a week, because I have a... It's very common for people that have this injury to develop, you know, full or slight tears in their opposite hip which I did as well, a slight tear there. So now I am doing, you know, every exercise that I do, I do it for both legs. So I'm there for double the time that I was at the start of my rehab. So it's uh, it's a lot. And, um, you know, I spend more time there than basically anywhere else. Yeah, man. When I uh, tore up my knee and I did my ACL, patellar tendon, and meniscus all at the same time, I spent basically like a year going to physical therapy. And so it's uh, difficult to imagine what it must be like for someone like Isaiah, who was like Mm -hmm. playing with that injury for for so long. Um, So uh, let's get to a slightly less interesting topic than our personal (laughs) medical histories. Also, something that's not good, the New York Knicks. Yeah, yeah. Well, so one thing that I, I, and, you know, they're not going to have Carmelo now. We usually like to start with last season as a baseline. 
for projecting out one thing that surprised me actually in looking at the stats was that they were better with Carmelo on the bench last year than they were with him on the floor mostly defensively uh they actually were competent defensively at 104 defensive rating and 111 with him on the floor um obviously the offense really cratered their 102 but they're only negative 2.4 and I think they're negative five with him out there but I mean what do you think this team is going to look like now without Carmelo is is that a slight reason for optimism or no I don't think so I think a lot of it had to do with the the deleterious effect that him and Rose had on each other and the fact that they despite that played a lot of minutes together Um, having both of them in the lineup obviously is not good for your defense and I think that they also adversely affected each other's offense because whoever didn't have the ball was not quite as useful as they should have been and you know I'm on record strongly uh, against the idea of Rose's skill set helping in like any way whatsoever like he I think had his uses like he was basically the only player on the team that could get to the basket and that was why I think the offense was slightly better with him on the floor but he didn't help Kristaps he didn't help Carmelo and I think that that was I don't remember if the, the Knicks were also better with Kristaps off the floor it may not have been because he did spend a bunch of time playing you know, independent of those two guys. But I don't think that, especially because, you know, and we'll get to this later on, they really don't have anybody capable of soaking up all of those possessions that Carmelo ate up. And he did it at at least, I think he was slightly above average efficiency. Um, you know, obviously not, you know, as good as you want to be for someone who uses as many possessions as he does. But I think their offense is going to be quite bad without him there. Yeah, I think so. Real quickly, before we get into the Knicks, by the way, uh, how do you think Carmelo's going to play in OKC? I mean, you watched him all last year very closely, obviously. Like, what do you, you think he's going to really contribute there? Or, or is it, do you fear for how it's going to work out? Now, I think he's going to be really good there. Um, the thing about him where, you know, people talk about Olympic mellow, you know, catch and shoot mellow, whatever kind of mellow you want to call it, where he's like a supplementary player. Um, the times that he's been willing to do that has been because he's been willing to do that and I think that he wouldn't have gone there if he wasn't willing to change the way he plays like I don't think you're going to see a ton of him catching the ball jab stepping surveying the floor all over the place trying to go one-on-one I think he's going to be a sniper and he's going to be I don't know if you could ever uh, say that he'll ever be a good defender but I think he'll be more active defensively simply because he'll be able to put more effort into it because he's not going to have to expend as much energy scoring he's going to do his fair share of scoring while holding the ball like for Clay Thompson levels of time just because Russ is going to be creating a lot of his shots and PG is going to create a lot of his shots I think you've seen it somewhat in their preseason games where he's getting a lot of looks as like a trailer on the break coming down for threes and he's obviously going to get a lot of kickouts uh, off of pick and rolls between Russ and Adams or PG and Adams and he's going to play in more space than he did in New York for basically the entirety of his time there so offensively I'm not really worried um, about him sort of mucking things up for them I think he knows that he's going to be that supplementary guy, but he's still going to get plenty of touches to be able to do the kind of scoring that he likes to do. Yeah, that'd is that be where you're at too, or are you worried? Uh, you know, I, I'm a little worried because I think if he has to be the number two guy offensively and Paul George is number three, I think Paul George is better than him even offensively at this point. But if you're going to say, well, Paul George, like Melo can't really concentrate more on defense, you know, that's got to be more Paul George's job. And so 
I, I do fear, and especially because now Mello can opt out, but probably going to be under contract next year with that $28 million that he's owed. And Westbrook has extended. Now you really have to convince Paul George to stay. So maybe he will just to that end stay out of the way. But it seems like because all Mello can do is score and George can do other things, it seems like Mello might be number two in the hierarchy, which you know I, I think would be a mistake potentially. But we'll see how it all works out. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to like not help them or anything like that. I mean, it's a trade that you would make 100 times out of 100 if you're OKC. And who knows, maybe Russ doesn't even sign that extension if they don't make that trade. But, you know, I, I that's the one thing is just like, how is the workload going to go between Mello and between Paul George? Um, but I, I think, you know, he'll provide so much more spacing. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't be surprised if Mello scored more than George on fewer touches. Yeah. Like, PG is definitely going to get the ball more often just because he's going to be asked to be a perimeter creator more often since Melo's largely going to be playing the four. But I think his opportunities are going to be so much more open than they were before. You know, we all know the catch and shoot numbers, like over 40% from three on catch and shoots, uh, you know, several different seasons. I think he's going to snipe away from outside on a bunch of attempts. He's just not going to take quite as many of those like one dribble pull-ups, um, you know, that he's loves to take over all these years. Yeah, I so let's get now to actually, you know what? Let's do a quick read here and then we will get to uh, a little bit more about this next season. I'm staying over at my buddy's right now. I'm staying over at my buddy's right now doing some dog sitting for him while he's out of town this weekend. But I didn't have to give up my awesome electric toothbrush because I have a Quip toothbrush. This thing is basically the size of a normal toothbrush. Starting at just $25, it packs premium vibration and timer features into an ultra slim design, half the cost of bulkier brushes. And so now I can fit that in my dop kit. It's great. I don't have to worry about recharging either because it just comes with this one AAA battery that lasts you for three months. And when you get on their subscription plan, they'll even send you a new battery in addition to sending you their refill packs. You can subscribe to receive those new brush heads on a dentist recommended three month plan for just $5, including free shipping. You got to see the Quip toothbrush and brush with it for yourself. It's backed by leading dentists named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of 2016. They won a 2016 GQ Grooming Award. And I'm not sure how much crossover we have with Oprah among our listenership, but it also made Oprah's 2017 New Year's O-List. If you haven't tried an electric toothbrush yet, if you're still brushing with a manual toothbrush, just try it. Try Quip. You'll be shocked at how much cleaner your teeth feel, how much easier it is. You don't have to actually like scrub super hard anymore. It's a pretty simple process. And if you have a traditional electric toothbrush that's like three times the size that you have to charge all the time, you have a great reason to try out Quip as well. The way to get started with them, getquip.com slash capspace is the URL. That slash capspace URL. Easy to remember because we talk about capspace all the time in the program. That URL will get you your first refill pack free with your Quip electric toothbrush, which again, start at just $25. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash capspace. Once again, getquip.com slash capspace. Okay. So I think is there anything else about last year's performance that you think is particularly um, predictive about this year? Or should we just like, is it going to be a totally new team? It's definitely a totally new team because, you know, so much of everything involves Mellow Rose or Mellow and Rose. But, you know, I think one thing that's notable is that, you know, their best heavy usage lineup. Uh, you know, only four lineups, four or five man groups played more than 100 minutes last year. Their best of those featured Mello at the four and KP at the five. And yet Mello refused to play the four and now KP doesn't want to yeah, play the five. Yeah, that was 
that was uh, troubling. Yeah, uh, and and look, uh, uh, there's something that I'm writing about this, so I don't want to give away too much of it. But the Knicks have like 17 centers, so KP's not going to spend the majority of his time at the five. That's obvious. But it's also like even if he plays zero minutes at the five over the next like five years it could still wind up being the primary position for his career because he'll be like 26 at the end of those five years, you know? Yeah. So it's um, there's and, and, and a frankly, lot of consternation about it. And frankly, he's too slow to play on the perimeter. I mean, this is, I, I was wrong about him. I was, wasn't nearly high enough about him during the draft process. But one thing that I do think has played out is asking him to close out on three-point shooters on the perimeter is something that he just cannot do consistently. And so he may want to play the four. And I think he, when he gets into the post, he wants guys who are shorter that he can post up against. Um, but it, I, I don't think, and he doesn't like to have to bang around as much, but defensively I think it, by far his best position is the five and, and of course that is the end of the floor that is so plagued these Knicks teams low these many years yeah that was um the next place I was going with the thing that might carry over from last year like I've talked about this several times they are the single worst defense in the NBA since Jeff Van Gundy left uh only in the top 10 once in that time and it was the lockout season not going to be much better this year it's you know like I think that well, I was like going to ask you that I mean, is is there a chance chance that they could be better like could it be that just mellow and rose were just so bad that i mean you know they're not gonna be an elite defense but like hey could they reach competence i mean like there aren't other than cancer there's nobody you look at i don't think i mean you know they have a lot of young guys and rookies but and i guess hardaway is not not too great majority. okay yeah never mind i'm not gonna make this point yeah. after all mike, hardaway, mike beasley like there is there are a lot of very bad defenders on this team you're basically putting all of the improvement on defense on KP and then like Frank playing right away and being a positive defender and or yeah, sessions Ron Baker being the, when he plays like, like yeah Ron Baker like being the defender the Knicks apparently think he is which they're like the only team in the league that thinks he's a positive defender um like the, the, that's where it's going to have to come from unless they're suddenly like they've talked about Kuz as part of the young core for some reason um unless they reverse on that and play Lance Thomas over him um, you know, or Joachim Noah becomes like 2012 Joachim Noah, which I think we all know isn't happening. Oh, no, no. He looks uh, great. This year. He looks he looks great in camp. He's really competing. Feels good. Feels like the, the best since his rookie year. Yeah. And, and of course, they have no incentive whatsoever to uh, talk up the performance of their giant $18 million a year albatross that they might want to try and move in a trade. Yeah, I heard Courtney Lee's looking good, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh although i mean that's unfair to courtney i think he's a, he's still a quality player but yeah it's uh yeah yeah we're, we'll get to that later I, I agree um so where is kp right now as a player you know i think it's been really interesting because both of his first two years he started off extremely well and the knicks to some degree started off quite well compared to where they ended up being in those years and then you know he fell off and i'm not sure how much that really gets captured in the national perception I've, I was going to say narrative, but I don't like that word. So I was going to say perception instead. Uh, but like, where is he now as a player? I mean, do you, what ex expectations do you have for his performance this year as far as really moving up into that upper echelon of NBA players? Yeah, I think that that's going to be obviously the big question surrounding the team throughout the whole season. You know, to me, uh, the things that I want to see out of him are basically the same things that I wanted to see, but knew I wasn't going to see last year simply because he wasn't going to get the opportunity. 
Like, I want to see him do more of creating his own shot. You know, we saw some of it at times last year, but obviously, you know, Rose and Carmelo had the ball most of the time. Now this year, I think he's going to have to create his own shot a lot more because the Knicks just don't have guards that are going to create yeah. shots so do you, for, you think he for could other do that? people. Can he create his own shot? I think he could do some of it. Like, he's not going to be you know, Kevin Durant, where he's creating his own shot off the dribble all the time. But there are certain guys that he could take off the dribble. You know, he's got yeah, the, a like opposing centers who won't be guarding him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, he's got like a crossover. It's kind of slow, but because he's so big and gets down low to the ground when he brings the ball across, it kind of works anyway, even though it's slow. And obviously, once he crosses all the way over, his stride is so big that it's basically impossible to block it. And then he's got, like, not really a Dirk fadeaway, but it's like a half Dirk, I guess, where he sort of, like, takes two dribbles and winds up looking like he's posting up and then halfway turns around for a jumper. He hit a couple of those a few times last season so he's got a couple of moves that he can get to they're sort of slow developing but that's always going to be the case given the way his body is built I I just would like to see him do more of the you know most of the time when he touched the ball out on the perimeter either he was putting the shot up or he was you know giving the ball back to the guard or doing something stupid with it and (laughs) forcing a turnover somehow I'd like to see more of like the pump fake sidestep shoot pump fake, take it to the rim, get fouled. Like, I, you could probably count on your hand the number of times that you see him do that. Like, pump fake it and drive rather than, you know, pump fake and go into nothing. Like, that's what I'd like to see more of on offense. Obviously, he needs to, you know, we've been talking about him as this potentially elite outside shooter, and he shot, I think, 33% from three as a rookie and then 35 or 36 last year. Like, he needs to get into the high 30s um, you know, obviously you want him to get into the 40s. I don't think that's necessarily realistic. But he's got to get up to 37, 38% from three so that he is actually the kind of shooter that he gets sold as. And then, you know, defensively, you know, you want to see his defense in space catch up to his defense at the rim. And I don't know how realistic that is, but those are the kind of things that I'll be looking for. I think it, I agree with you on all those points. And I do think attacking closeouts is really where he can be most effective, especially if it's in pick and pop. And that's something that with the triangle finally on the scrap heap now, you imagine he'll get a lot more pick and pop. Now, if he had a point guard, who could what's, actually do what's anything. The, what's the triangle? Yeah. What's that? The triangle? uh it, it's a one of our more uh, difficult to play musical instruments um but it's uh <laughs> <laughs> i think him attacking closeouts is important because he's going to have guys flying at him after those pick and pops but the biggest thing is that i just he's not really that fast and so driving to the basket and stuff like i agree with you he creates separation on that crossover especially against centers he can get along to that way in the post as he can really score as long as the guy isn't too strong you know those are the matchups if the guy can get underneath him that that'll cause him trouble and you know if he can get to back down to 15 feet he can be effective if he's shooting a turnaround jumper from 19 feet or 21 feet that's less the case um so yeah and and i think defensively too it's being out in space like you said and he's gonna have to continue to do that Uh, and then i guess probably the last thing too and and don't get me wrong i think like i'm lower on him than some i think he's gonna be a very effective player the ability to block shots even playing at the four i thought he would help them defensively 
defensively, at least compared to who their other options were. And having a guy who can pick and pop the way he can with that high release point, if the ball goes in the way we expect it to eventually for him, that's going to be a huge weapon. He's going to be a really valuable player. But the health for him, I I think, is starting to be something that may be a concern because he always seems to have these nagging issues. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, Jeff Stotts from uh, In Street Clothes has talked about how a lot of them have been on that left side of his body, which is concerning. Um, this year, of course, in the preseason, he's got a right side of his body injury, so you know, already affecting the other side. Um, you know, that's something that I don't know how much he can control, but obviously you want to see improvement there because you know he missed whatever I think like ten games at the end of his first season, and then last year he missed a bunch of games at the end of the year. But also he had that Achilles injury in December, and then just wasn't the same mostly for the rest of the year. But the thing that's encouraging to me, you know, in terms of things that he wants to work on, is you know he came out at the end of last season and said that there were like two specific things that he wanted to work on, and it was you know he needed to improve his finishing around the rim and he needed to be more consistent with his defense close to the rim and both of those things he improved on a lot last season his finishing was, was so much so better. yeah he made i'm looking at it now he made 70 percent of his shots within three feet of the basket which is up 13 percent from the year before and he was one of the you know four or five best rim protectors in the league by the sport view numbers last season and even things you know early on in his first season he said he wanted to stop getting the ball stolen from him so much when he went into the post and that's something that he corrected within you know a couple of weeks um you know, so he's shown an ability to sort of identify things that he needs to improve and then do it. So I think on that front, I'm encouraged by him being able to figure out what, you know, where his weaknesses are and fix them. But you can't fix anything if you're not on the court. And uh, it's obviously a concern for a guy that big. Yeah, it's just a, a lot of nagging things. You, you get to the point where you wonder, like, you know, last year he played 66 games, started 65 of them. You wonder if he's going to be one of these guys. And maybe sort of similar to like an Anthony Davis, too. Yeah, he plays... Uh, a healthy season for him is 65 or 70 games you know it's not 77 games uh, potentially and, and maybe that's but, but i mean at least we haven't seen him have anything that's like a major injury yet which is good and nothing nothing with like the feet or uh, things where it's like some of these usual like big guy uh, type of things what about his other his uh his partner in the front court willie hernan gomez a guy who despite playing in new york really i think doesn't get enough attention for how effective he was last year as a 22 year old yeah, I'm totally with you. He was really good last year. Like he was, you know, he was never going to win, but he was like, you know, a fringe rookie of the year kind of guy. I think he might have come in third or no, sorry, because Embiid, I think, snagged that spot. Uh, but he, you know, in the mix with at the end of the year when it was like, oh, we don't know if people are going to vote for Embiid. Brogdon's probably going to win. Sarich is a candidate. And look how well Hernan Gomez is playing for the Knicks. And now, of course, you know, they've got him locked up on this great deal. One of the best non-rookie scale, non-max deals in the NBA and they're like yeah we're going to start Ennis Cantor instead like I'm oh, so they actually is the, that's what's going to happen they're going to start Cantor I don't know they're, they're, they're talking about it like they have I don't think they've played in the same preseason game yet Hornacek has sort of been sitting one of them to see you know what rotations would look like and just to get guys because they have like 19 centers on the team so you can't get everybody minutes in the same preseason game so different guys have been sitting every night and like a bunch of guys have been hurt anyway but you know he's been talking about how he likes the pairing of Porzingis and Cantor because of the, what Cantor can do draw 
drawing defenders and the pick and roll and what he can do in the post. Like, Hernan Gomez does basically the same stuff Cantor does offensively and isn't the single worst defender in the league. Like, he's definitely not good, but he can, like, actually move his feet laterally, not super fast with it, but he can do it, and Cantor can't. And And he's got those Spanish smarts to his game, too, with his mm -hmm. positioning defensively, I think. He knows where to be. He can't always get there, but at least he knows where he's going. And, you know, maybe gets there late, fouls a guy, maybe gets there on time, blocks a shot. Um, But he's not clueless like Cantor is where you know you could just turn him around like if me and you ran a pick and roll we could score on him um it's it's like they've got this great asset you know two more years a very low amount of money and they're like yeah we're just gonna you know bury him on the bench and he'll be lucky if he plays 20 minutes a game like it, it just doesn't make sense to me and he was he was quite good last year especially down the stretch of the season yeah i will slightly push back i think that Cantor is pretty clearly the superior offensive player to him still um better shooter from outside a guy that you can just go to in a straight post up on on the second unit and, and probably even although they they're both excellent offensive rebounders. I think Cantor is a little bit better there as well, and maybe a little bit more athletic as a role guy. But but you're right. I mean, I think Hernan Gomez is kind of like a mini Cantor. Uh, Hernan Gomez is probably a better passer than Cantor. You could you could look at that as part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be. Uh, Cantor worked on it last year. He did a little bit more of that passing out of the post. I actually talked to him about it last season. And he was like, it's something that he's working really hard on because he knows it's a weakness for him. So it's like you know, at least that acknowledgement. Like, he's going to try to get better at it. He's still, you know, I don't think ever going to be very good at it. But, you know, just as an example, I'm looking at it now. Hernan Gomez, 16 points, 13 and a half rebounds, two and a half assists per 36 36 minutes. That's that's really good production for, you know, a rookie coming straight over from your... I took a sip of water and it just went down the wrong pipe. <clears throat> your uh, your drinking problem? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what was I saying? Straight over from Europe? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For for a guy who came straight over from Europe, is that's really good. And that's really good numbers, obviously. And you know, he's a couple years younger than Cantor. Not not that Cantor is old. I think he's like twenty five or twenty six. But he also costs like one sixteenth of the amount. And he's KP's best friend, and you don't want to piss off KP uh, any more than you already have. Like, I-, I don't understand not giving him a chance, especially because the way that Cantor's been at his best over the last couple of years has been sort of dominating bench big guys. And if he's starting, he can't do that. Well, and I think there's it's one thing to say, okay, you know, Cantor, I, I mean, I think he, in the right role, he can actually help teams win um, if he's coming off the bench. And, and certainly when the other team's best pick and roll threat is out of the game, that's a good time to have him in there. Uh, but I think also just understanding that, hey, you know what, like the reason we got him is because he has a high salary, just like Carmelo Anthony. Uh, that's, I think recognizing that and just, you know, minimizing him and trying to develop Hernan Gomez is something that's uh they should probably be doing but you know it's uh we'll see what ends up happening about the the year they talked about hernan gomez as like a key piece of their young core throughout the entire summer and now they trade for Cantor, and it's like oh well this guy's gonna take a back seat i I just don't understand it you know we'll see what happens but they have been talking about Cantor as if they want to start him lately you know i guess we'll see next week so do you think that Hernan Gomez can be a quality starting center, even considering his athletic limitations defensively? Yeah, I think like, it depends on what you mean by this year. Yeah, I think it depends on, you know, what you consider a quality starting center. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that in the modern NBA plays like 
30, 35 minutes a game and is like out there closing games. Just the style of player he is, that's just never going to happen. Yeah, I'm thinking think like somebody, be, when, when he becomes a free agent, somebody says, hey, here's $15 million a year to be our starting center, and you're not saying that's a bad contract. That's kind of what I think of as like a quality starter. Yeah, I, don't, uh, I would say probably not then. Like, I think he can be a guy where you're happy with him as, you know, a guy that starts games and plays like 20, 25 minutes a night and sort of soaks up center minutes um, but doesn't close games because he can't guard well enough in space but is a good offensive player with the touches that he gets um just to me i don't value that player as like a 15 million dollar a year player yeah um you know it's it's like uh it's it's not necessarily like canner i'm trying to think of like i guess like an offensive version of robin lopez who where you're like oh he's getting paid 12 or so million dollars a year and that's pretty good and you can play him 25 minutes a game but he's not necessarily going to close games but lopez is that for defense and i think hernan gomez can basically be that for offense where is uh it is Nilakina is how you pronounce Frank Frank Nilakina's name, right? Uh, am I correct about Nilakina, that? I was Nilakina Nilakina. It's it's not Natilakina. Right. Yeah. It's, the uh, T the T is silent. That's the important. Yes. Part. I, we when we did our preview, I we, Danny and I had the wrong or, or our scouting report on him in the draft. And, and if you're a Knicks fan, you're interested in that. By the way, uh, that was back in I think June that we did that. Uh, so if you can deal with us calling him Tilakina the whole time, uh, hopefully our our evaluation of him is better than our, our pronunciation. What's the plan for him this year? Are you able to discern that at all? No, because he basically hasn't played. He played, I think, in one preseason game. He didn't play in summer league yeah, because he got I saw that game in, uh, in the first practice. Um, he played that one preseason game, and he's been out the other preseason games with another injury. I can't, po- like, I, don't, I have no idea what the plan is. I thought that, you know, if he came into camp and played really well and outplayed guys like Ramon Sessions and Jared Jack and Ron Baker in training camp in the preseason, then he had a chance to win the starting point guard job. But I just don't think he's really had a chance because he hasn't been able to play. Um, you know, they're saying that he may or may not play uh, in Friday night's game against the Wizards. He may or may not play. Um, I think there's another game on, or no, sorry, that was this Monday. So I don't know if he'll be ready even for the start of the season. You know, they're saying the same thing about Chris Stapps is probably not going to play. Uh, on Friday night at this point. But it's it's tough to know a plan when you don't see the guy get on the court at all. Uh, I think that they would obviously, I think they would like him to win the starting job only because the other point guard options aren't all that inspiring. And if he can't beat those guys out with his play, that's probably, you know, at least a bit of a concern for this year. But, you know, it's it's really hard to say just because he hasn't been able to get on the court. Do you have you been able to make any kind of I mean even in just off that one preseason game like what what is his game like at this point? I think he has a little bit more off the dribble than I might have thought by watching him in France. Like he's still not going to be like a, you know, super dynamic pick and roll point guard. Like he's not going to be Dennis Smith um where he's you know taking pick no, and he is getting all the way to the rim and dunking on people yeah uh but he's by, a, by a, the way a really i, I could I, I wanted to relay a quick story since you mentioned him you know obviously nilakina went eighth smith went ninth well and they're still thinking about they're gonna be playing the triangle and phil jackson was still calling the shots like i, I talked to some of the knicks organization who said basically he like got up on the table and banged banged on the table for dennis smith and they uh obviously went in that direction so there definitely were people in the organization who wanted smith but uh you know it seems that they were overruled 
Yeah, that's. I would say that that is definitely true. There were people that wanted him. There were also people that wanted Frank. Um, uh, obviously, Phil was one of those people. Yeah. Um, but there were there were definitely people that wanted Dennis Smith, and there were people that wanted Malik Monk. Um, you know, but with with Frank's actual skill set, like the thing that stands out is his length is crazy. Like he's yeah. you know legit six five, and his arms are so long. Like the seven foot wingspan that's been reported is probably pretty legit. Like his, his arms are crazy long and he likes to be up in people's faces defensively and use that wingspan. And, you know, literally anybody would be better on defense than the, the point guards the Knicks have been running out there since Charlie Ward. So I think that that's something that people are going to be drawn to is at least the, the effort and the effect that he can have on that end. I think it'll take him a little bit to figure out what he's going to be offensively just because he's not necessarily what you would think of as a tr- modern traditional point guard, which is, you know, a lot of pick and rolls coming downhill, spraying passes all over the floor. Like, I think he's a a nice passer, but he's not like a, not even like a Russell Westbrook style passer where, you know, he's going to draw three or four defenders towards him and spot the guy who's open if he decides not to shoot. Um, But he does have a little bit more off the bounce than I thought when I watched him in France, you know, at least from the practice clips and the preseason game that he did play. Yeah, and it'd be interesting. I think his finishing will be something to really keep track of as well. If he can get to the rim, what type of finisher he's going to be. I mean, I, a couple of times in that preseason game, you know, I, I think we saw his limitations there. But obviously, it's very early. I mean, he is extremely young right now. I mean, I think he like just turned 19 pretty recently, as I recall. So uh, he's he's definitely has plenty of time. Uh, and whatever growing pains happen, uh, you know, the Knicks will benefit from a, a higher draft pick next year, in theory. Um Another guy who I really am very unfamiliar with, I didn't watch since the Knicks didn't have a first-round pick on their roster. I didn't really watch any of their summer league. Uh, I was criticized by uh, some Twitter followers, and perhaps rightfully so, for not talking about Damian Dotson. And uh, in the preseason game that I saw, I was really impressed by his activity defensively, uh, um, just as a help defender. He seemed to kind of know where to be, but also really just seemed to elevate the energy of the game. And he's had some decent scoring games as well in the preseason. Your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think he might just be good. Um, he is was a very high level three point shooter uh, in his two years that he was at Houston. Um, I wasn't familiar with him actually when the Knicks drafted him, and then I went back and watched, uh, you know, clips and a couple of games. I can't remember which uh, games that I wound up watching, but I watched a lot of clips of him as well. He's a good shooter, especially off the catch, but he can dribble into some of them as well. I think he's shown that in a couple of the preseason games too. And definitely the activity on defense and very much like Frank, like he likes to be, you know, in your face and physical defensively too. And he also has, you know, a pretty, pretty good length. I can't remember what the wingspan was. I didn't have the draft express up right now, but he seems like a guy that could sort of play right now. I think, um, I think he's 23 years old. So he's, um, cause he was in college for, I guess five years cause he transferred after, um, you know, the allegations against him at Oregon, he transferred to Houston. Uh, so he's a little bit on the older side. So physically, um, I think he's got an NBA-ready body already. And if you can defend a couple of positions and shoot, you can play on the wing in the NBA these days. And I think he can do those things. 
is he is he a one two defender a two three defender like what type yeah, of size of a two three yeah i think he's more of a two three defender i think he's six six and he's got um i'm gonna look up the wingspan right now just because i want to uh be able to be sure about it but you know i i don't think i think that it's not so much that he's not quick enough to defend point guards yeah he's six five and his wingspan is six nine so he's got and he's got like a like he's only listed at 205 but he looks like sturdier than that yeah like a guy that look that weighs like he looks like a guy that weighs like 215 instead of 205 um and i think that you can use him to guard some bigger wings which is not really something that the knicks have on their team other than lance thomas like if you look at their wings it's tim hardaway who ain't guarding bigger wings courtney lee who sort of struggles with bigger wings uh kuzminskis who can't guard anybody mcdermott who mostly can't guard anybody but at least knows where to be uh and beasley who doesn't want to guard anybody so uh, i think he might be one of their better options for guarding small forwards already how the hell do you think this rotation is gonna work out uh with shooting guard small forward and then even power forward to some degree they have a lot of these guys who are kind of two threes some guys who are three fours they don't necessarily have a pure three as a defender on the roster like can you kind of like i guess hardaway is going to start obviously with the contract right mm-hmm. lee is going to come off the bench you think yeah i don't know what they're going to do with lee like hardaway is definitely going to start like you mentioned with the contract and with the you know the hopes they have for him that i don't necessarily share but we could talk about that later um Hornacek has been talking a little bit about potentially starting hardaway and lee next to each other i, I mean Not those necessarily... are the two best guys like i, I mean if you're yeah. gonna and lee i think especially you know in the east now i mean the, obviously they have to play teams against the west but lee you you know he does struggle with bigger guys but he struggles less i think than you know doug mcdermott does and, and lance thomas can't shoot well enough uh really to play small forward so i'm not really sure who else it's going to be other and, and i mean mcdermott and hardaway together is a pretty rough combination so i think if i were trying to win games i probably would start lee at the three yeah it might not be an every night thing like he's talked about how he kind of likes it but not necessarily maybe not to start and maybe not every night like i think it might be one of those things where they run through a ton of different starting lineups based on matchups and obviously injuries um there's a lot of different guys like you said for basically every position like even you look at point guard there's there's sessions there's baker there's frank uh they brought in jarrett jack who's fighting for the Joakim noah suspension roster spot now with trey burke so that's like four guys at that position you got hardaway lee um dotson at that as guys that can play the two hardaway lee dotson thomas kuz uh mcdermott as guys that can play the three there's so many different combinations or, and sorry and lance thomas too um different guys that can play at all of those spots none of whom are necessarily all that much better than the others um i think other than basically kp and hardaway you could see a lot of different players starting games at the other three spots yeah that makes sense to me where's lance thomas as a player right now i mean he he had that great year two years ago signed a nice contract and then really fell off the face of the earth in part due to injuries only played 46 games in 968 minutes last season yeah i know that they really like him uh as a guy in the locker room i know that they really liked the way that he played before they gave him that contract struggled with injuries throughout basically all of last season like wasn't healthy pretty much from the jump um i think if 
he had played last year like he did the year before, he would be 100% the guy that is starting at the three for them right now. But they just don't know what he can give them, you know, based on his health and the way he played last year. You know, he's a guy that can defend threes and fours depending on, you know, their their size and speed. Uh, but again, doesn't bring, you know, enough shooting unless he shoots the way he did two years ago. Um, and doesn't bring a whole lot off the dribble either. And this is a team that's going to need wings that can create shots for themselves because the point guards are going to struggle to create looks for everybody. And that's why I think you might see more of Michael Beasley than might be healthy because he's basically the only wing on the roster whose strength is like creating his own shot. Yeah, I mean, I think he's actually been efficient these last couple of years. And even going back to that last year in Miami, too. Uh, but I expect that to drop off significantly here without more threats around him. Yeah, I mean, uh, the shooting for Lance Thomas last year, actually not, he shot 47% or I'm sorry, 45% on three-pointers last year. Am I reading that right? That's, But he just didn't play enough to really uh, like have that mean anything. And then he was awful from two-point range. He shot 42% around the rim and was like 35 percent or below every other range from two-point range his legs were shot and i think he shot those threes if i'm remembering correctly less often yeah. last year um just uh but he's a, he's a good he's a guy that very much like Courtney, i think would be much more valuable on a good team uh as a guy that you can sort of use as a like 70% PJ Tucker guy. Yeah. And um, that's just, it's not quite as useful with this Knicks team that sort of doesn't know where it's go where it's going and needs to get looks at a bunch of different guys. He's a guy you can play with a whole bunch of different lineups, but not necessarily one that the Knicks would want to have in those lineups because, you know, he's 29 years old and doesn't have a super high ceiling. And it's not like he necessarily helps push KP or Hardaway or Frank Nilakina to another level. He's just a guy that's sort of a connector piece that can work with pretty much anybody else next to him. All right, let's see. Where should we go next here? I, I think one thing I really wanted to talk about is, you know, what do you think is the crunch time lineup for this team, assuming they can make it to crunch time, that is? Yeah, um, I think it's, you know, very much like the starting lineup. I think basically the only players that are guaranteed to be playing in crunch time are KP and Hardaway. Uh, you know, you could see a bunch of different point guards. You could see a bunch of different guys, at, you know, the quote-unquote three. Um, they'll finish some games big with KP and either Cantor or Hernan Gomez. They'll finish some games small with, you know, Beasley or Lance Thomas or McDermott at the four. Um, I, I don't think that there's a guaranteed crunch time five. I think there's a guaranteed crunch time two. And a lot of it's going to depend on who's healthy, who's playing well, how things match up. Um that's, that's sort of where I'm at, especially because we haven't been able to see it in preseason because, A, they've been getting blown out like every preseason game. B, they keep sitting down some of these centers for the preseason games because there's not a way to get all of them playing time. And C, uh, KP has been hurt in preseason and Frank has been hurt in preseason. So it's really tough to get a read on what any of the lineups are going to be just because they haven't been able to have their real team on the court for any of the preseason games. 
Yeah, I guess I w- we haven't really mentioned McDermott at all. He does provide a shooting element that this team probably needs. Uh, and he was someone that at least I have had hopes that, especially if you're putting, you know, a smaller guy, one of your worst defenders on him, that he actually could like get into the post and be effective offensively like he was in college. There was a brief period where like the Bulls for like three or four games, like ran him into the post and, and gave him like two post ups a game and he was effective. And then they got away from that. Uh, on the other hand, people have always talked about because he played as a college four uh and also because he's the exact same height and wingspan that i am i know that i would certainly struggle to play the four and uh doug probably doesn't jump much better than i do either um and he just you know because he's just so powerless as a help defender i I think you just can't really play him at the four i I know people that's been something that people have thought about but i just don't see it being like you just can't work defensively with him at the four but it's i mean i think it could go either way for him i think he could really see this opportunity or i could see him with this expiring contract going into restricted free agency just kind of being mired on the end of the bench and maybe they just play lee and dotson more and tom lance thomas more and beasley more and he just ends up not playing at all yeah and, and look we also haven't mentioned kylo quinn who's like a four or five type guy and it's like there's there's a bunch of guys that could get playing time and may or may not like you may see some trades. Like I know that they would. They've gotten calls on Leon O'Quinn, and I think if they found the right deal, they would probably make it for one or both of those guys, which would help clear out at least some of the logjam. And then, like, it's not. I don't think they're just going to completely glue Joakim Noah to the bench when he comes back from his suspension. I think he's going to play at least a little bit. Um, how much? Who knows? But we'll, you know, we'll see on that front. That's not something they have to worry about until I think twelve games into the season but you know McDermott I don't think they're going to extend him they only have a couple more days to do that I don't think it's something that they're necessarily interested in right now but I think he could play his way into the long-term plans like if he shows that he could be uh, a 3-4 type that shoots off the bench because that's something that is useful to pretty much any team and there's opportunity there it's a matter of proving that he can take the opportunity and run with it and you know does he get the opportunity with all that crowding like they have a bunch of other 3-4 types in in Lance and Kuzminskis and um and Beasley so it's even that role is crowded and there's not necessarily anybody that is going to necessarily separate themselves right from the jump it's going to be a matter of sort of who plays well all right we got a few minutes left here let's take one more quick break and then we'll talk about the strengths such as they are of this Knicks team and get Jared's prediction for the season momentarily here Fantasy basketball fans, listen up. It's not too late to join the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. It's really taken the fantasy football world by storm. Now it's in fantasy basketball as well. It's a snake draft, so it's much harder for the pros to monopolize all the money like they can with a salary cap league. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store. You can join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on Draft.com, whichever you prefer. For limited time only, all new players get a free entry into Draft when you make your first deposit. You have to use my promo code CAPSPACE to let them know that you came from us, and that'll let you play a real money game for free. Use the promo code CAPSPACE on your first deposit. Yeah, so what jumps out to you as a potential strength for this team? The only one that I could see when I really thought about it, but uh, you probably have a, more answers than I would do, is I, there could be a really good rebounding team. Yeah, I have one strength also, and it's pretty connected to that. I said front court depth. They have a bunch of different options that they can use at the four and the five in a lot of different ways. 
you know, KP, Hernan Gomez, Cantor, uh, you know, Lance, McDermott, Kuzminskis, Beasley, um, even Noah could potentially play some minutes when he comes back. O'Quinn. That's I think that's like eight guys, nine guys uh, for the two front court spots. Obviously, KP is going to soak up whatever it is, 30 to 36 of those minutes a night and the rest will be distributed however they're distributed but they could sustain two or three injuries to guys in the front court and still have you know plenty of room to have a real rotation there where they're not like playing shooting guards at power forward or something yeah and they also even their depth on the wing i mean they don't have a pure three and d three type of player but there are plenty of teams that don't have that i mean they have they go really probably four or five deep in terms of just competent nba players at the two two through four with a lot of those guys being kind of either wings or combo forward types but they're not going to be throwing out there at least at any position really other than point guard guys who just like aren't solid nba players right i don't think they have very many sub replacement level players yeah yeah that would have been um, they, a have, way they have a bunch of guys who are replacement level but a lot of times the difference between sub replacement level and average is bigger than the difference between average and good you know depending how far below replacement level a guy is and you know they, they do have a bunch of guys they can use like you said the two through four and the five as well yeah i mean the problem is though i think the position where they do have below replacement is probably the most damaging position to have that at at point guard i mean this is something that danny really hit on more than uh anyone that that i noted just how much it can torpedo your team if you just have nothing at the point guard position especially if it's if you're a team like these knicks who just don't really have another guy who can initiate the offense get to the basket and, and draw any kind of defensive attention off the dribble yeah like that's obviously where you would go for their weaknesses like point guard play number one right at the top it's going to be bad i think even if frank separates himself from the pack like most rookies are bad like he's not going to come out and be especially rookie point guards and especially 18 year old 19 year old rookie point guards that are coming over from Europe. Like m- yeah. most rookies are bad. Most rookie point guards are bad. Most guys that come over from Europe are bad in their first season. Like it's it's uh, it's not going to be necessarily a very good season for him. But you know, between that and like the lack of shot creation elsewhere on the roster, especially shot creation for others. Like Michael Beasley can create a shot for himself, but the next shot he creates for somebody else will be the first. Um, yeah, I, I think when I wrote, I wrote the uh, I wrote the box preview last year for ESPN Insider, and I think my line was: uh, once he puts the ball on the floor, the only way it ends up in a teammate's hand is on an offensive rebound. <laughs> First of all, that's a really good line. Second of all, that is in- entirely accurate. So you know, the, the point guard play and the shot creation, and then obviously, like I, I think they're going to be pretty bad defensively. Like to me, it's pretty much a mortal lock that between the point guard play and the amount of you know, atrocious defenders that are on the roster. It's pretty much a mortal lock that they'll be a uh, a bottom 10 offense and a bottom 10 defense. Yeah, they could put an okay defensive lineup out there, I think. You know, if they... Noah, he was pretty bad defensively. Maybe he'll be a little bit better. But Hernan Gomez could be okay. He and Porzingis are probably, you know, a little bit below average as a front court tandem. And then, you know, if they went with Lance Thomas or Courtney Lee, and then Neil Aquino might be okay defensively. Like they Maybe they could do that. But then, of course, they're going to struggle offensively when they put their defensive guys out there, as so many teams do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do. I think that's a, nearly a lock to me as a prediction that they will be in the bottom 10 on both offense and defense. And you know what? You know, like we'll we'll get when we talk about the best and worst case that's okay 
<laughs> yeah, I hate these teams where it's like, like I meant best case, like number of wins, at least number of wins. Like we're not allowed to bring in the, like this whole lottery thing. Like when I had Stefan No on with the Bulls, he was like, oh yeah, best case scenario. They like 20 wins. They get the number one pick. I'm like, no, that's not the spirit of this question. This is a preview of this season. <laughs> yeah, I uh, th- don't worry. I gave you two different answers there. <laughs> All right. Well, let me do my prediction first. Then, um, what is their over under? Do you recall offhand? I don't recall offhand. Here, let me get it. Uh, I would figure it's somewhere in the high twenties. No, I think it might actually. Uh, let me find it before. Let's just be silent, and it'll 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 get edited out while I find this here. Okay. Yeah. So thirty and a half. Uh, Danny and I both went under. Um, and they have looked horrendous, obviously, in the preseason. I mean, I do think them being, uh, you know, if I'm gonna ballpark it i mean i think this team you know i I don't even know if they necessarily get above like it's just because there's so many other bad teams especially on offense maybe that's the only saving grace that you know those teams don't have anyone as good as porzingis and and maybe he can help it look everyone make everyone look better with his pick and pop game but you know i think they're the 24th best offense and you know around there on on defense probably so that to me 27 28 wins i think i'll go with uh, and and also that over under came out while they still had on the team too although there was probably some of him being traded priced in there i think i'm gonna go 26 wins for this group wow we got it exactly (laughs) i had 26 and 56 also (laughs) so first of all this is the first time i think in the three years we've done this that i haven't been a couple of wins over you um yeah look when you're like again i expect bottom 10 offense bottom 10 defense it, first of all, it's just always the safe bet to take the under with the Knicks, even under the best of circumstances. Yeah, when's the last and time they went over? That's a really good question. Uh, I, they must have got sort of over in 2012-13. Oh, uh, yeah, when they won 54 games. That's Yeah, I think true. they've been under. Uh, I mean, then the the 14-15, I think they were like, you know, 40, and they won 17. I think that might be like, if that's not the biggest over-under miss in either direction by any team, like since I've started tracking it, it's, you know, in the top two or three. Yeah, uh, you know, allowing for, injury circumstances for teams that just completely cratered um i would imagine that it is but look i I think that you know and scott perry has talked about this like i don't think people will necessarily freak out if they win you know 25 games or whatever it is if they're not getting blown off the floor every night like if they're in games losing by eight ten points but if they're coming out and losing by 15 20 points every night people are going to get anxious people are going to start you know talking about fire hornacek people are start going to start talking about chris Stapps. like he's had he's had it easy with nick's fans so far because it's been assumed that he's the future but he hasn't had to deal with being the actual face of the franchise yet um People obviously still love him, and I would imagine will uh, for quite some time. And he will get the idea of, or sorry, the benefit of the doubt of people saying like, "Oh, the Knicks are ruining everything. It's not Chris Epps' fault," uh, unless that keeps going for like two or three years. But yeah, look, if if you're going to be as as bad as I think they'll be offensively and defensively, it's almost impossible to break 30 wins. Um, I would say it's a strong under for me there for sure. But yeah, you know, you want to, well, are, and are I guess we doing best case, worst case or. Yeah. Well, I think actually I want to ask you something else too, as a prediction. Is Hornacek going to get fired this year? I don't think he'll necessarily get fired during the season because like, who are they going to have take over? Like, it cannot be Kurt Rambis. Like that is <laughs> a non-starter. Amazing that he's um, still around. Uh, but I'm, it, w- I'm sort of surprised yeah. he's still around. Uh, you know, they did know each other pre-fill. So I'm not like flabbergasted but i'm i'm definitely surprised but he can't be the interim coach and it's not like they're going to give it to 
Howard Isley, who's not necessarily the most popular guy uh, with Knicks fans either, based on his you know career as a player. Huh. So I, I think he lasts the season. Um, but if they're really bad and non-competitive, I would not be surprised at all if Mills and Perry wanted to bring in their own guy next year. But I, I do think he lasts the year, unless it's something like where they start off, you know, oh and ten or something like that. It's just like, all right, this can't continue. Yeah, I guess so. And it is, I mean, Perry came in pretty late in the process. Obviously, Mills was only confirmed as the head honcho pretty late. So it does seem like they might as well just wait. Um, and Orzek actually, you know, had some success as a first-year head coach of a allegedly tanking team in that 2013-14 season with the Suns. That team, of course, had a lot more talent, but nobody thought that they did at the time. And so, uh, but you know, they had Bledsoe and they had Dragic, so there was a lot more upside there. Um, all right, yeah, but best case scenario here uh, in terms of like most number of wins you see them getting. Yeah, I'm ignoring the second part of that question. And <laughs> I've got two best cases for you. So either they go like four and 78 with all four wins coming against Pat fucking Riley, or Chris Stapps takes like a Giannis like leap. Frank is better than expected, and they win like 34 games and somehow still win the lottery. All right, I'm just going to put 34 on my spreadsheet because I don't have room to write four and 78 and Pat fucking Riley in this cell. So you'll have 34 is going to have to suffice, I think. Uh, yeah, for me, I, I might even go even lower. I might say like 32 at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's in that like low 30s, I think, is the best case scenario. Like there's no scenario where they're in the high 30s and getting in the playoffs, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, even 34 is not that far away. It will be better than the Nets. I like this Nets I, I team better not, than them, I think. I think I do too, but I'm also not on board with, like I'm somewhat on board with like the Nets are going to be better than we think but I'm not on board with like the Nets can make a playoff run because like people severely underestimate how much Brooke Lopez lifted them toward competence over the last couple of years if we can call what they had competence um, and that's going to be sorely missed like I think for them best case scenario is like 35 34 35 wins also yeah, I mean, they're at least going to jack up so many three-pointers that maybe they could get lucky and, and hit a bunch of them. But, but Porzingis certainly is by far, like if the Knicks just had a real point guard, like even, you know, the 25th best starting point guard in the league on this team, I actually could would think about like, oh, maybe they could be a playoff threat. It's just having just nothing at point guard is so damaging uh, that... If they had made that, you know, early days of free agency rumor George Hill signing then they could have been like fine yeah. not that we recommend them doing that but it's uh no uh all right how about a uh, worst case scenario um worst case scenario so like four and 82 or four and 78 like that's not realistic but you know the, <laughs> yeah. the, except the, miami <laughs> sweeps up that's your, that's your worst case scenario yeah the number like the the worst case scenario to me isn't so much a number as like a sequence of events okay like, they give too many minutes and too many shots to guys that have no future with the team, but KP struggles to be the number one option because nobody can get him the ball. So KP feuds with Hornacek. Hornacek gets fired, and they make Rambis the interim coach. There's some other off-court controversy. They fall three spots in the lottery to, like, number nine, and KP refuses to sign an extension next summer and says he plans on taking the qualifying offer the next year. 
So I guess you'd say they win like 33 games, finish with the sixth worst record in the league and fall to number nine. That is a subplot to watch, uh, KP, because uh, as we has been noted now, if you get traded while you're on your rookie contract, you're still eligible for a designated player veteran extension. Now, I don't think that should really matter that much, something that's four years away. But it does surprise me that more players on rookie contracts don't actually attempt to demand a trade. And he really, I think, has come the closest of good players on rookie contracts of anyone to doing that with this whole exit meeting fiasco and then getting shops although he's claimed that he didn't want to be shopped uh you know but i, I mean i think you know why why they don't, I don't just think have he did, by the you way. Say? like i don't think he did want to be shopped. No. like i think he very much wants to be here for his whole career he loves it here his brothers love it here his parents love it here he wants to be in New York. I don't necessarily know if he wants to be on the Knicks. Most players don't, but he he definitely likes it here and he did not appreciate being shopped and he doesn't want to get traded. But if they can't get their act together, I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know why more young players don't go the Kyrie Irving, hey, my agent requesting a trade type of route. I mean, you know, there are certainly players who like, oh, is this going to hurt my marketability so much? But there's so much player movement these days. And players go places in free agency so often you don't really see why there's such a difference between leaving a team in free agency and going somewhere else and and politely you know not publicly but having your agent request a trade it as Kyrie did I mean I don't know if Kyrie, like I mean Kyrie's not going to get like you know, he's not going to be booed in every arena or something because he asked for a trade from Cleveland I mean Cleveland might dislike him but um so I don't know I mean that's going to be an interesting plot now if I'm the Knicks I wouldn't trade him unless there's some amazing package out there and, and maybe I would consider that if only because of the health stuff or if he just doesn't really take as much of a step forward this year as his hope but the, i mean this is that's what this season's going to be all about are we gonna do we have a superstar do we have a top 20 player future top 20 player top even 15 player in the league i don't think he can get much above there on this team or is he just you know a solid player who's going to get you know a 20 million dollar year contract maybe a max contract but really is not quite that level of player yeah i mean look that's definitely the big question you know you need to see him take that step forward and and, you know, everything that they do over the next couple of years should be filtered through the prism of what helps him get to that level of player. Like, I've been saying that that should be the case for two years now, but it definitely has to be the case now. Um, everything they do needs to be geared around maximizing the best asset they've had in 30 years. <laughs> because if they can't do it, then at some point, whether it's after the expiration of his rookie contract or after the expiration of his probable max extension, which I can't really see a way that they don't offer him at this time next year um at at the end of one of those two he's gonna leave if they can't figure out a way to maximize him Uh, i don't care if it's new york he's just gonna go you know so they've got to figure out a way to do it obviously they want to do it they want to mend the fences that you know the relationships that were damaged last season obviously phil being gone helps on that front um but a lot of it's going to have to do with what they do for him as a player. You know, he needs to be, he needs to know that, you know, player development wise, they're going to put him in position to succeed, you know, having the, you know, the right staff around doing the right things with, with him when he's on the court, but also putting the right players around him. All right. So for the record, by the way, my worst case scenario, lowest wins 20. Did you say that's probably about right? Is there's like what their floor is for some wins this year? Would you say it's a little higher than that? I mean, KP, you know, he could miss 
25 games this year you know that wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for just kind of a normal scenario right and that's why i was going to say it might be like a couple wins lower like they won 17 when carmelo missed whatever it was 20 30 games whatever it was a few years ago. they have a lot more real players now though back back then than they did back then yeah but if if kp misses 30 games i don't know where they're getting any scoring from like is their whole offense ennis Cantor and tim hardaway at that point that's a recipe for like you're gonna give up 130 points a night so you know i would say like wins wise the worst case scenario is probably something like 17 18 yeah and that that factors in kp missing a chunk of time all right man well this was great as usual give our regards to jason we're sorry that he could not make it for our our usual three-man pod this year uh but uh let us know where we can follow your work before you sign off yeah i'm uh, I'm on twitter at jadubin5 uh my work at fansided my work at vice sports my work all over the place um i'm around a prolific freelancer is what i've been described as by some and i would say that that's probably pretty accurate um and uh actually last week i did the uh the basketball friends live at gotham comedy here in the city and people were asking me when are you jason and nate gonna do the podcast and i was like we're trying to get jason nailed down and of course he abandoned us for shea serrano's book signing which i uh was not able to go to tonight <laughs> well that's a good reason to uh to not be able to make it um because uh those book signings are important danny's gonna have a book soon any- as well all right well so this is our, our last one for this week we're gonna have on sunday night the sixers and the celtics together uh that'll be an interesting one not not simultaneously but we'll do both of those on sunday then danny and i have to do our official season predictions podcast the next day and then it'll be time for the season to start can't wait for that to happen as well thanks again to jared for coming on and we will talk to y'all next time at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply